this is Margot Stedman, the Education and Community Engagement Director for the Rockford Symphony, and I am here today with our principal trumpet, Mark Balden, and we are going to be talking about this weekend's Brass Chamber Concert. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. This is going to be a lot of fun. So before we start talking about the repertoire on the actual concert, I wanted to talk a little bit about chamber music mm-hmm. and brass chamber music in particular, okay. but let's start with chamber music. So this is our first, the first concert on our chamber music series. And from your perspective as a musician, what's the difference for you in playing chamber music versus playing orchestral music? Well, there's a a kind of a big question there because chamber music encompasses a wide variety of different styles and different instrumentations. I mean, chamber music can be two people. Chamber music can be 12 people. Chamber music can be any combination of instruments you want. And I suppose if you want to try to define it, you could think of chamber music as music written for a smaller venue, Mm -hmm. for a chamber, if you will, you know, Uh, dinner music, music for background to Mm -hmm. other events. A lot of the music that we listen to that was composed by Mozart and composers going back from that actually was written as, you could call it purposeful music, uh, work music, Mm. music that was composed to be performed while people were eating dinner Mm -hmm. or music that was composed to be danced to. Mm -hmm. Now we look at this as, ooh, this is classical music. No, it was dance music. A lot of it was dance music. A lot of it was music music that was not listened to by the people when it was being played because it was background music. Right. Now, other music was written specifically for concert venues, a smaller concert venue, a smaller orchestra. But the history of it goes back to before it was called chamber music. It was just music. Yeah. There have been <laughs> there have been small groups performing for the last, well, you, you pick how many hundred years. Mm-hmm. So I suppose the difference on the surface would be music for a smaller ensemble, music written probably with a smaller venue and smaller audience in mind. But then again, when you say the symphony orchestra, there are symphonies written for small numbers of instruments. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the symphony? We have a, a view that it's you know the 88-piece orchestra and, and all mm-hmm. this, which is true. But the term symphony has been used in different ways over the years. Mm-hmm. So you have a symphonia di camera, you know, or a small symphony, or a petite symphony, which is written for a big orchestra. Mm-hmm. So uh, the terms change with the times. Right, right. As mm-hmm. everything, fashion, mm-hmm. etc. Yes. So when we talk about my particular uh, milieu, the brass instruments, the brass quintet, the brass quintet is a very versatile type of organization, if you will. It can play a lot of different kind of music very well. And it also fits very well as a number of instrumentalists to steal music from other instrumentalists. Ah. Uh, You have to remember that the modern-day trumpet in that really wasn't possible until 
1825, thereabouts, when the valve was invented or perfected. Mm-hmm. So before that, brass instruments either had a slide, which in Renaissance times were called the sackbut. Yes, I'm familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you had natural trumpets, where you were limited to the harmonic series like a bugle. And horns, uh, non-valved horns as well. Right, well, exactly. Right. Yes, yes, exactly. So when it was possible for the trumpet, cornet, French horn and that to become chromatic, to be able to play all different pitches, now there's a whole bunch more music we could play. Mm-hmm. And composers took advantage of that new capability. But also, instrumentalists want to play. And one of the things that over the years, and I'm condensing this a lot, bear in mind, one of the things we looked at was music from the Renaissance and the Baroque. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of that was written for number of instruments, not specific instruments. So you could have an ensemble of, say, five, six different parts. Right. Played by violins, maybe here, maybe over here, shams, crumb horns, cornets. Maybe one choir would be sung and the other choir would be played. Mm-hmm. Perfect stuff for a brass ensemble to get into because it sounds really good on yeah. brass instruments. So the brass quintet, as we know it, kind of evolved, I think, over the years from various influences, mm-hmm. bands, and that. And the brass quintet, as we know it, probably started to come about and become popular in the late 50s, early 60s. As a matter of fact, one of the pieces we're going to play really set what the brass quintet, the modern brass quintet is. And that's the Malcolm Arnold quintet, which we can get to in a bit. That had a, a lot of influence in making the brass quintet the standard instrumentation that it is. And I saw that was written in 1961, so that's mm-hmm. relatively recently. Yes. That the brass quintet as we know it today came about. There, I'm sure, were ensembles before that. The The New York brass quintet is arguably the one that started the popularity of the brass quintet. That and also in Boston, uh, Robert King Publications is a company that for many years was the go-to company for brass quintets. Robert King was an instrumentalist. I believe he played baritone euphonium, but he did hundreds of arrangements for brass quintet and other brass ensembles and really was one of the very first people to publish for that. I'm going to stray a little bit here um, just because I think this is interesting, but we live in a a region that was settled by lots of Germanic influences Mm -hmm. and the idea of the brass band, so brass ensembles. Mm -hmm have been playing and Absolutely. have been written for as ensembles, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Uh, the brass yes. band has been around for a long, much longer than the brass quintet as we know it. Ah, okay. Although I'm sure groups of five players, you know, got together and played in the Made 40s and the 50s. Sure. But really, I think you can give credit to the New York brass quintet. And then shortly after that, in 1960, the American brass quintet formed and... The American Brass Quintet, like New York, took things very seriously. They gave, they wanted to elevate the Brass Quintet to the level of the String Quartet. Mm-hmm. And so their recordings were very scholarly and they had a lot of uh, liner notes. And uh, I was just 
matter of fact, looking them up because an early recording of theirs from 1967 has on it a bunch of things that are now just standard brass quintet. Every high school brass quintet plays them, and they were really one of the first to bring that out. Roger Voizan was another one who did that in Boston at about the same time. Is it this recent, since the 60s phenomenon that composers have really latched on to composing for this, specifically for this complement of instruments? Yeah, a lot of composers, It's well, first of all, there are a lot of brass quintets. You know, you may not be a whole heck of a lot of brass quintets nationally, internationally known, particularly back in the 60s and early 70s. But there are a lot of brass quintets. Yeah. So you could get sales for college groups, for right. high school groups and that. And you had the New York Brass Quintet concertizing, the American Brass Quintet, which most of those players were New York players when they mm-hmm. started. Uh, so they were coming out and giving concerts. At, and it was a big thing, you know, a brass quintet concert at Town Hall mm-hmm. or uh, at Carnegie Hall. You know, it was kind of a new thing. And so they started commissioning people. Mm, And mm -hmm. so they not only built a repertoire of arrangements Mm -hmm. from other instruments, but they also started commissioning composers for the brass quintet. And then really, I don't want to say this is absolute because I know very few things absolutely, but the Canadian brass really pushed the brass quintet to a more popular medium. Of course, not only do they play beautifully, fantastic players, but they added a lot of entertainment to it, too. Nice. Whereas the American brass quintet and like the New York brass quintet and the Empire brass quintet, a little bit less of that entertainment style and a little bit more straight ahead concertizing, but phenomenal, phenomenal. I want to go back a little bit to uh, the beginning of our conversation of orchestra versus brass quintet Mm -hmm. so with the orchestra or even the rockford symphony for being specific let's you've got yeniv conducting you in the brass quintet you don't have someone standing in front so what is that communication like between you all as the players do different people take the lead on different ones how are you starting how are you stopping how are you setting tempos what does that feel like as a musician what would the should the audience inside tips that they should look for just the behind the scenes moment what's well, going on it's, there it's similar to any small ensemble a string quartet of course that has been around for centuries and has been written for for centuries with a smaller group of people you generally don't need to have one person coordinating it all because we all as musicians we listen anyway we listen intently Hopefully. for well <laughs> We hopefully listen intently for things like pitch, for staying together, Mm -hmm. for balance. With a a smaller group like that, you just don't need one person giving you the beat and giving you the the cues. But is someone starting it? Well, you know, it's a matter of we all know where we start now, and as part of the discussion in rehearsal, is okay. Do you come in on beat one? No. Where do you come in on? Okay, you're on the end of two, so you have you're on the end of three. So I will start it by one. My breath. So your I will, breath I will, is I will, I will use it. the horn. Uh, it depends. Some pe- some pieces are like Malcolm Arnold. Mm-hmm. I start it. I'm I'm the first person. No one plays for the first bar. So basically, I just. Go into it. Mm -hmm. As for interpretation, I think every group does it differently. Mm -hmm. 
It's a little bit different when you have, say, a group such as Empire and that who that's what they do. You know, it's like a professional string quartet. This is what they do. Right. Um, so they're, they have more rehearsals. They have more time. They really kind of get into uh, how do you want to play this passage. And it's always a give and take. It's always yeah. a give and take. I mean, you've got five people. And we may have five different interpretations. We may have two different interpretations of a passage. We may have one. Mm -hmm. And so in rehearsal, we'll go through the piece. Generally, for me, I like to just play through it once. Mm -hmm. And don't stop unless you have a complete crash and burn. And then you, we start working on sections and someone will say, you know, I'd like, I think we should play these notes a little bit shorter here mm. and it's because it'll make this, this, this. And then most of the time the rest will go, yeah, that works. Occasionally you'll have a little bit of a difference of opinion and you come to an accommodation. There you go. Some of the professional groups are famous for playing together very well and not liking each other at all. Oh, that's unfortunate. Some others, that isn't the problem. Right. Um, but you can, especially if you're doing things all the time, you can come to some hurt feelings. Mm. Or Now, I'm not saying it's some personal experience. We haven't had this experience. But I know of groups where you have two headstrong musicians, which we need to be because, you know, we have to decide how we want it to play, and who have two completely opposite ideas of how something should go. One of them's going to lose. Yeah. Sometimes that is dealt with, sometimes it isn't. But it really is a group interpretation. Now, if, say, the horn has the melody, and it's obviously the most important part, we follow they what get she to wants. Decide. Yep. Well, let's talk a little bit about the pieces, the pieces. and the melodies okay, sure. and what's going sure. on. Sure. So, opening the program. Opening with the program the is a piece called The Scherzo by John Cheatham. John Cheatham is 84 years old now, born in 1939, and he taught at uh, University of Missouri for many, many years. A very prolific composer for winds and, uh, and brass in particular. Uh, a very fine professional group, the Gaudate Brass Quintet, premiered a new work of his a couple, three years ago. And the Cheatham was written in 1963. And again, an early work for Brass Quintet and very quickly, very quickly became very popular because it's tonal, it's fun. It has this kind of Wild West Copeland-esque kind of feel mm -hmm. to it. Yes, uh, he was I 20, got that feeling when I listened to it. He was 24 when he wrote it, and I think it, it's it could well be his most famous piece. Hmm. Um, as I said, he's written widely for many different uh, instruments, and as far as I know, is still composing. And this was one of the early brass quintet pieces that became very popular. So appropriate that we're starting with mm -hmm. it. And then we go to the Arnold, which you, we touched on earlier, that that kind of solidified this it. Is the this is probably the most historically important piece in the program. Uh, written in 1961, very quickly was seen as a, still is considered one of the finest works ever written for the Brass Quintet. And in many ways, it solidified the idea of the Brass Quintet as two trumpets, horn, trombone, tuba. Although uh, the, some quintets, the American Brass Quintet particularly, traditionally use a bass trombone instead of a tuba, oh. which gives a little bit different sound. And uh, now this, when this piece was written, 
it was really considered by a lot rather avant-garde, and it isn't. It is very tonal. It is it is energetic. The second movement in particular is the centerpiece of it. It is as dramatic as as you can imagine, and really rather dark. And I know we don't have time to get into too much about Malcolm Arnold, but um, he was a very fine trumpet player. He played principal trumpet in the London Philharmonic and the BBC. Uh, by the time he was 30, though, he pretty much moved into composition full-time. And he has written everything, nine symphonies. He wrote for over 100 movies, winning the Oscar for the best score for The Bridge Over the River Kwai. There are some movie-like moments, I think, oh, in this quintet when I listen to it. I absolutely. hear that movie absolutely. influence, and you can picture scenes come to mind almost listening to it. I think it's ironic, though, that even though he won the Oscar for that movie, the only tune everyone remembers from that movie is Colonel Bogey, which was written by Henry Alford, which is ba-dum, ba-da-da-dum, bum, bum. Oh, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't write that. <laughs> uh, he also wrote, if you wanted a musical adventure, he wrote... A number of dance suites over the years, starting with the English dance suites. There were two English dance suites, Scottish dance suite, Irish, Welsh, and Cornish. Each of them were four movements long. If you have an hour or so, put on the CD. Noxos has a CD of them in the order of composition. Hmm. And you hear a man change over the 25 years oh, between these pieces. Yeah. The English pieces are happy and, you know, really, really. By the time you get to Cornish... He's in a different place, and he had a number of uh, – he had issues with depression, with alcoholism, with uh, – his last years were not necessarily always good. But uh, he uh, – by the end of his life, he was recognized as one of the fine British composers. And this piece particularly, I think, is uh, just – any brass quintet wants to play the Malcolm Arnold. Fun. All right, moving on. Quintet by Michael – is it Kamen? Uh, Michael Kamen. Um, yes, we are. Michael Kamen, uh, unfortunately, passed away much too young. A uh, marvelous movie composer. Ah. And he, I should have looked up more movies because you'd know all the movies, but Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is one that he, he wrote. Oh, wow. Uh, did a lot of big movies. He also was in a group called the New York Rock and Roll Ensemble, I think, back in the late 60s, early 70s. It was kind of a, they put out about, I have actually one of their albums, they put out three albums of rather interesting rock and roll, you know, chamber rock and rolls, very interesting stuff. And interestingly, he was commissioned to write the fanfare that we were going to use to open the Coronado when oh, it wow. was reopened. Unfortunately, other commitments took precedence and he had to back out. Uh, so Steve Larson wrote it, but uh, originally I think it was Michael Kamen was they were going they they commissioned to write the fanfare. I love that local connection. He wrote this for the Canadian Brass. Okay, it is gorgeous. It is a beautiful tone poem of mm. of color of dramatic moments. It isn't a. It has melody. But it doesn't have like a 16-bar melody you can walk out humming. But there there are motives that come back and tie it all together. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. just a beautiful piece of music. And then the next piece is kind of going back in history. We're going back three, four hundred yeah, years. So kind of what we started talking about at the beginning of our podcast. Samuel Scheidt's Canzona Bergamasca. Now, Samuel Scheidt was, what was it say, 15... 
1587. But I'm sure that's flexible. yeah. This would have been written. This would have been written in you know the early 1600s. He was a, a very important composer of the early Baroque, known a lot for his organ music. And again, Canzona Bergamasca was not written for the modern day brass quintet. It would have been written for an ensemble of early woodwinds or whoever you had. But was okay. it written for five instruments or was it uh, adapted? You know, that I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It might actually have been a keyboard work. I was trying to get some history on it and I just couldn't find it. The uh, canzona is like kind of a dance form. It's uh, you know, There's all kinds of canzonas. Canzona, canzona is an Italian word. Now, Bergamasca, there are a number of pieces that were written like um, Rondo on the Bergamasca or this on the Bergamasca. Yeah. The Bergamasca was an, as I was reading was an Italian folk song oh. and pieces that were written based on the chord progression were called Bergamasca. Okay. So this is a piece and again this is an example of brass quintets stealing from other other literature and it works beautifully for brass quintet. It's lively, it has uh, contrasting sections, um, it's a lot of fun to play. And it's a, a great example of how early Baroque music translates to the modern-day brass quintet. I agree entirely. I've been listening to the concert, and I'm excited to hear that one live. Then we've got a couple here in here that are just pure fun, it looks like, for, for anyone. Well, the next one is Penny Lane. Okay, yeah. Which is also, a, this particular version is also an arrangement written for the brass, for the Canadian brass. I see that. And it's just fun. It's beautifully done. And to be honest, I kind of programmed that with ulterior motives because everyone knows Penny Lane's got the big piccolo solo in it, piccolo trumpet solo. Well, this takes that and just makes it even bigger. And I wanted something to keep me practicing piccolo trumpet. So I figured panic is a, well, panic and fear are two wonderful things to keep one practicing. <laughs> And the fear of utter humiliation uh, keeps me working on the piccolo trumpet. But it's a really fun arrangement. And who doesn't like the Beatles? And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You can't go wrong. Can't go they wrong. They did a whole album of Beatles tunes. Oh, fun. And it's, uh, they've, they've been, the, the whole set has been published as a single book of quintets. And it ain't easy. I, I can, can tell imagine. you that. Yeah. Now, the next two are pop tunes. Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and then Josh Groban's You Raise Me Up. Now, both of these are arrangements for the Brass Quintet by an arranger that a lot of people know. I didn't discover him till about a year or two ago, named Seb Skelly. That's such a cool name. Isn't it, though? Yeah. He has a remarkable talent for writing rock and pop tunes for the brass quintet and make it sound good. There's a lot of arrangements of pop tunes for the brass quintet that are, eh, they're okay. You know, they're a little cheesy. They, they don't really work. His stuff really works. And I played arrangements of his of Queen tunes. Wow. Uh, Queen, ACDC, um, all kinds of stuff. And he, I think I've only run across one or two that I thought were eh. He right, just so really knows how to do it. And beautiful and the melody lines go throughout the group. It's not like one soloist through the through the whole thing. It it, it they're just wonderful arrangements. All right. And then big the finish. Big finale. Big finish. That's a piece solemn entry by Richard Strauss. 
which was it's, it's, it, the full title is a solemn entry of the Knights of Papa Two. You know, it's a huge title, and he wrote it for a bigger ensemble. But it it's a brass and organ work, and so we get to have Joel Ross in here on the organ. And uh, this is, what is it? First Lutheran. Uh, yeah, it's a has big a instrument. Magnificent. Yes, it's organ. a wonderful organ. So we're going to move from the 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 main floor up to the organ oh, loft. Oh, really? Oh, wow. And then we're going to basically tell Joel, pull all the stops, and rip. we're going to clear out the pipes. And that's what it does. This is the original pull out all the stops. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is it's it. a piece that just, it, it's, it's not deep. It's not, you know, there's no great meaning in it. It's just pure pomp and ceremonial music that, you know, by the end of it, if you're not ready to walk out with your chest held high, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. I feel like I want to just circle around really quickly and explain what I said in case someone listening doesn't Mm -hmm. know that organs have stops and when you open them, that's when it opens the pipe to put sound Mm -hmm. through it. So the more stops you have out, the more variety of sound, but Mm -hmm. also the louder it is. So when someone says pull out all the stops mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. if you literally pull them all out you make the organ as loud as it is so now if you don't have a musical background and you're listening you now know when you say pull out all the stops mm-hmm. that you're actually making a musical reference Truth. and are smarter than you think you are so we'll be shaking the walls with that one that so, sounds so it's going to be a fun, fun concert it's going to be a lot of fun we had a lot of fun putting it together and We've had a lot of fun rehearsing it, and there's a nice moment in rehearsal when you get through something, you've worked on it, and then you play through it, and you get down, and you're like, that sounds pretty good. That's good. That's yeah. nice. So, yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait to do it. Hear mm-hmm. it. I think it's gonna, it is going to be really fun. If you don't have tickets yet, I just want to say tickets are still available. You can even buy them at the door. It's Sunday afternoon at First Lutheran Church in Rockford, downtown Rockford, Illinois. Tickets are $40. They're general admission. And there's more information on the symphony's website, which is rockfordsymphony.com. Mm-hmm. Mark, thank you so much for coming My in pleasure. and talking with us. My pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. And you too.